This Capital Ministries Bible study from President and Founder Ralph Drawlinger is entitled, Are You a Good Steward of Your Heart? Many of you know that for many years, Danielle and I have taken an annual mountaineering trip in the Sierra Nevada during the month of August. What a great time we always have hiking the John Muir Trail. This pathway is a national jewel, not only in terms of its beauty, but also in the thought and construction that have gone into building such a wonderful and magnificent guide through one of the world's greatest mountain ranges. The path intersects three national parks on its way from Yosemite, to Mount Whitney. This special set-aside time with my precious wife serves as a checkpoint for us in terms of our relationship, not only with one another, but also with our Maker. During this time, we take inventory and survey our hearts, motives, passions, pursuits, and future desires. In fact, the book of Proverbs has much to say about being a good steward of your heart. What follows is a study in this very regard. Our Introduction The Hebrew and Greek words in the Bible translated into the English word heart are intended by Bible translators to communicate the center of a person's activations, those activities, if you will, of his emotions, reason, and will. Since the physical heart occupies the central place in human physiology, the Hebrew and English words, by easy transition, came to stand for man's entire mental and moral activity, both the rational and emotional elements. In other words, the heart is used figuratively in Scripture for the hidden springs of the personal life. The Bible writers intend for this word to depict that one who was created in God's image is responsible for and can make decisions regarding all aspects of his life. Accordingly, Solomon's use of the word in Proverbs, Hebrew, leb, translated herein as heart or mind, is very similar to the English word for mind, but... If you track with the aforementioned, the word is biblically more expansive, including not only the intellect, but also the emotion and will of a person's inner being. Nous is the Greek word used in the New Testament, translated into the English words mind, understanding, and reason. This study will exhaust most of the Proverbs that contain the Hebrew word leb. Take special notice of the comprehensive, systematic, theological breadth of the idea of heart as I attempt to unfold and organize it throughout this study for your education and spiritual growth. God is sovereign over, knows, and tests the hearts of men. A. He is sovereign over our hearts. The upcoming Proverbs serve to underscore that God created man's heart and maintains supremacy over it. Proverbs 16.1 The plans of the heart belong to man, but the answer of the tongue is from the Lord. 16 verse 9 The mind of man plans his way, but the Lord directs his steps. 19 verse 21. Many plans are in a man's heart, but the counsel of the Lord will stand. And chapter 21 verse 1. The king's heart is like channels of water in the hand of the Lord. He turns it wherever he wishes. These passages serve as well to underscore why people take different career paths. It always amazes me and speaks to God's superintending control of the universe that people have different vocational aspirations and that everything that needs to be done in the world has people who choose to do it and find pleasure in it. These choices all relate to God's superintending sovereignty and supremacy over the heart of man, even in the fallen world in which we live. Worth mentioning here is the relatively new theology brewing in American evangelicalism known as openness theology, 
which asserts that God does not know the future. Instead, supposedly, he makes it up as he goes along depending on mankind's choices. Such thinking, however, negates the historical and biblical doctrine of God's sovereignty explicated throughout the Bible, as evidenced in the four previous Proverbs. Deuteronomy 29 verse 29 aptly summarizes the outline point that God is sovereign over our hearts. Moses states it this way, perhaps much more simply for our understanding. The secret things belong to the Lord our God, but the things revealed belong to us and to our sons forever, that we may observe all the worlds of this law. It follows then that, B, he knows our heart. Chapter 15, verse 11. Sheol and Abaddon lie open before the Lord, how much more the hearts of men. Supplementing the theological truth of this passage, Adam and Eve could not hide from God even though they tried, cross-reference Genesis 3, 8-10, nor can we. God knows our heart all the time. He knows what you're thinking 24-7, 365. This truth is quite convicting, and knowledge of the fact is intended to and should act as a deterrent to sin. God has a 24-hour watch over you and over me. We cannot escape His presence. C. He tests our heart. Proverbs 17.3 The refining pot is for silver and the furnace for gold, but the Lord tests hearts. In this proverb, the first stanza informs the second. In parallel fashion, God tests and refines our heart through the heat of trials. Such heat is intended to purify like dross being skimmed off minerals when they are heated. All are part of God's refining fire. In the New Testament book of James, the whole of chapter 1 serves to unpack this condensed two-line proverb. Further, in an eschatological sense, 1 Corinthians 3.13 reflects the same understanding about the method and means by which God intends to refine and grow the believer's heart in godliness. Scripture says, "...each man's work will become evident." For the day will show it because it is to be revealed with fire, and the fire itself will test the quality of each man's work. Because of the fallen nature of man, we cannot really know ourselves unless and until God tests, thereby uncovering the real motives that need to be changed in our heart. Note Jeremiah 17.9 in this regard. The heart is more deceitful than all else and is desperately sick. Who can understand it? Only God can bring to the surface, break through our self-deception, and reveal to us the true condition of our desperately sick hearts. Again, He accomplishes this objective of ongoing sanctification via His economy of testing. Again, cross-reference James 1, 1-8. It is therefore important that we do the following. During times of deep introspection and conviction from the Holy Spirit in our prayer closets, we should not only recognize but successfully pass the tests God brings our way. Such victories over trials greatly expand our usefulness to God. Show me someone who is being used mightily by God, and I will show you someone who has been passing God's tests all along. Be cognizant and sensitive to His means of testing to accomplish growth. The following proverb illustrates the futility of personal sanctification apart from the previously described means and ways of God. Chapter 20, verse 9. Who can say, I have cleansed my heart, I am pure from my sin? Your heart and mine are too desperately sick and deceived to be able to take a successful personal inventory and achieve in any way God's holiness as a result. Therefore, we should consider it all joy when you encounter various trials, 
says James chapter 1, verse 2. Trials are God's way of getting through to your and my thick skull. The heart is the fountainhead of life. Albeit God is sovereign nonetheless, Scripture and herein individual Proverbs teach that we remain personally responsible for the actions of our own heart. The sovereignty of God and the free will of man are not antimonies in the infinite mind of God. The absolute sovereignty of God over the design, direction, and affairs of man is just as true in Scripture as is human responsibility. In theology, such seemingly contradictory truths are known as antimonies, appearing contradictory to one another in the mind of finite, fallen human beings, but not so in the omniscient, perfect, and pure mind of God. What follow are several proverbs underscoring the necessity of individual human responsibility for managing his own heart. Chapter 4, verse 23. Watch over your heart with all diligence, for from it flow the springs of life. 27, verse 19. As in water, face reflects face, so the heart of man reflects man. Accordingly, it follows that if the Bible specifically teaches that man is personally responsible for his actions, then someone or something else is not. That someone is generally the parents of grown children. The something else is generally one of the following. The environment in which a person is raised or currently lives, a lack of education, or the plethora of overriding and uncontrollable social-blaming diseases now postulated in pop American psychology and sociology. All our attempts at reducing what the Bible says is 100% human responsibility for our decisions. As a government leader, never lose sight of this basic biblical tenet. Individual human responsibility is a watershed issue in any and every sustainable functioning society. If Solomon were here today, he would say that personal responsibility needs to be a basic tenet in the formation of societal laws. Take note, my friend, be biblical in your lawmaking and policy enactment. The human heart, whether making good or bad choices, is the fountainhead of life. Heart discipline is a personal responsibility. Both joy and sorrow ultimately stem from an individual's heart, and therefore, it follows that his emotional well-being is a matter of personal versus environmental management and responsibility. Solomon says we cannot blame our sins on another. Each individual is liable for his or her own behavior, subsequent happiness and well-being, or lack thereof. Solomon echoes these truths in Proverbs 14, verse 10. The heart knows its own bitterness, and a stranger does not share its joy. And Proverbs 14, 13. Even in laughter, the heart may be in pain, and the end of joy may be grief. Good, biblically obedient, responsible choices always generate good emotions and lead to positive emotional health. Bad, biblically disobedient, irresponsible choices always generate bad emotions and lead to poor emotional health. If you want to be happy in this life, live in obedience to the Bible. In a systematic, logical sense, what follows the aforementioned truths is this, the necessity of disciplining the heart with scriptural truth. Proverbs 3.1 My son, do not forget my teaching, but let your heart keep my commandments. Chapter 4, verse 4 Then he taught me and said to me, let your heart hold fast my words, keep my commandments, and live. 4 verse 21. Do not let them depart from your sight. Keep them in the midst of your heart. 6 21. 
Bind them continually on your heart. Tie them around your neck. Proverbs chapter 7, verse 3 says, Bind them on your fingers. Write them on the tablet of your heart. Chapter 10, verse 8. The wise of heart will receive commands, but a babbling fool will be ruined. Chapter 22, verse 17. Incline your ear and hear the words of the wise, and apply your mind to my knowledge. 23.12. Apply your heart to discipline, and your ears to words of knowledge. And Proverbs chapter 23, verses 17-19 through 19 states, Do not let your heart envy sinners, but live in the fear of the Lord always. Surely there is a future, and your hope will not be cut off. Listen, my son, and be wise, and direct your heart in the way. The mere frequency and previous repetition of this truth in all these Proverbs speaks volumes in and of itself. In the book of Proverbs, Israel's King Solomon is writing to his son Rehoboam, who will become the next leader of the nation. He is saying, in essence, let me repeat myself and say this in yet another way, so that you are sure to get this. Unfortunately, Rehoboam never did. Let us now take this study a step further. There are two ways to fulfill God's mandate to discipline the heart, affirming and negating disciplines or putting on and putting off disciplines. Notice these ways in the following two points. Specific affirming disciplines of God-fearing hearts. What follows are affirming disciplines your heart should be ever cognizant of that will both manifest and buoy your growth in godliness. A. Affirm kindness and truth. Chapter 3, verse 3. Do not let kindness and truth leave you. Bind them around your neck. Write them on the tablet of your heart. Beloved, work to be 100% loving and kind as well as 100% truthful. These attributes are not polar opposites, but rather the sign of a mature believer. Discipline yourself to say truthful statements in a loving way. Don't be truthful and harsh. Don't be a liar and kind. B. Affirm carefulness with your tongue. Chapter 10, verse 20. The tongue of the righteous is as choice silver. The heart of the wicked is worth little. 12.23. A prudent man conceals knowledge, but the heart of fools proclaims folly. 12.25. Anxiety in a man's heart weighs it down, but a good word makes it glad. Proverbs 15, verse 28. The heart of the righteous ponders how to answer, but the mouth of the wicked pours out evil things. And 15 verse 30, bright eyes gladden the heart, good news puts fat on the bones. C. Affirm speaking insightfully. Proverbs 12, 8, a man will be praised according to his insight, but one of perverse mind will be despised. D. Affirm seeking counsel. Proverbs 20, verse 5. A plan in the heart of a man is like deep water, but a man of understanding draws it out. E. Affirm teaching and disciplining your kids. Proverbs 22:15. Foolishness is bound up in the heart of a child. The rod of discipline will remove it far from him. 23:15. My son, if your heart is wise, my own heart also will be glad. And chapter 23, verse 26. Give me your heart, my son, and let your eyes delight in my ways. One of the best ways to insulate yourself from critics is to invest the time in raising godly children that you and others can point to when your personal character is under attack. 
Why? Your offspring not always but generally bespeak and reflect your own character. It is inherently incongruous and difficult to attack the character of a person who has raised outstanding children. Notice that Solomon is making this very point in the following proverb. 27 verse 11. Be wise, my son, and make my heart glad, that I may reply to him who reproaches me. Remember, to raise godly children is one of the best investments a political leader can make in his or her own career. Specific negating disciplines of God-fearing hearts. Similar to the last point, what follows are negating disciplines that will both manifest and buoy your growth and godliness as your heart is ever cognizant of them. A. Negate rationalism. Chapter 3, verse 5. Trust in the Lord with all your heart, and do not lean on your own understanding. 28, verse 26. He who trusts in his own heart is a fool, but he who walks wisely will be delivered. Notice that 28, 26 states the following. He who trusts in his own heart is a fool. Why? Again, Jeremiah 17, verse 9, underscores the reality of the fruit of the fall in Genesis 3. It says, The heart is more deceitful than all else and is desperately sick. Who can understand it? Since the heart is desperately wicked, does it not follow that you need to train it in God's righteousness by regularly studying the Word of God? If Jeremiah is true in his proclamation, and he is, your rationalism apart from God's revelation could be tainted. What could be more important to a public servant who desires to serve his constituents the best he can than to have an intense, regular intake of the Word of God? All of us must be about reprogramming and forever managing our fallen heart, lest we fail to affirm and negate what God affirms and negates. B. Negate adultery. Chapter 6, verse 25 says, Do not desire her beauty in your heart, nor let her capture you with her eyelids. 7, verse 10. And behold, a woman comes to meet him, dressed as a harlot and cunning of heart. And Proverbs seven twenty-five: Do not let your heart turn aside to her ways. Do not stray into her paths. God made the opposite sex attractive. Such attraction bespeaks his beauty in creation. Therefore, how important it is to discipline your eyes not to look too long or engage in a second look at the attractiveness of the opposite sex, lest your heart be tempted to sin. Do not fuel your passions. Negate them by disciplining your eyes. C. Negate perversity. The Hebrew word tachbuka, translated into the English word pervert, means to divert to a wrong end or purpose. A close synonym is debase, which is self-explanatory, debasing, i.e., to attempt to replace a commonly held basis, to misuse, misapply, or misdirect the basis or purpose of something. I do not think that the English slang word puke stems from the Hebrew word takpuka. Nonetheless, it serves to communicate the essence of the meaning. Chapter 6, verses 12 and 14. A worthless person, a wicked man is the only one who walks with a perverse mouth, who with perversity in his heart continually devises evil, who spreads strife. 12 verse 8. A man will be praised according to his insight, but one of perverse mind will be despised. D. Negate wickedness. Proverbs 6, 16 and 18 says, 
There are six things which the Lord hates, yes, seven which are an abomination to him, a heart that devises wicked plans, feet that run rapidly to evil. E, negate drunkenness. 23, verses 31 through 33. Do not look on the wine when it is red, when it sparkles in the cup, when it goes down smoothly. At the last it bites like a serpent and stings like a viper. Your eyes will see strange things and your mind will utter perverse things. F. Negate gloating. Proverbs 24.17 Do not rejoice when your enemy fails, and do not let your heart be glad when he stumbles. The study now segues into the fruits of mentally putting on and putting off respectively. Proverbs states that those who discipline their heart will reap the fruit of such personal responsibility, and those who do not will reap the opposite. G. Negate self-adulation. 27.2. Let another praise you, and not your own mouth, a stranger, and not your own lips. If you're doing a good job as a public servant, others will note that service and speak about it in due time. Tooting your own horn speaks only of pride and self-centeredness. If you feel compelled to praise yourself for some accomplishment, remember who gave you the ability to achieve that success in the first place. Give praise to God and the others who helped you when He enables you to achieve something He's put on your heart. In addition, never share with others how you never take credit for your service. Self-adulation is a huge, ongoing temptation for anyone who has worked hard to achieve a goal. To God be the glory, not self. The Fruits of a Disciplined Heart No study on the heart of man would be complete without concluding with the tremendous fruit that results in the life of a disciplined heart. A. Satisfaction Chapter 14, verse 14 The backslider in heart will have his fill of his own ways, but a good man will be satisfied with his. B. Tranquility in the following proverb, where each of the two stanzas informs the meaning of the other, the Hebrew word translated as tranquil is marpe, which can also mean healthy. This meaning seems to be a more accurate English contrast to the second stanza word passion, quina, meaning ardor or zeal in a negative, selfish sense. Herein is a foundational basis for the fact that the wise discipline their minds from becoming selfishly consumed only with personal ambitions. Philippians 2 verse 3. Proverbs 14.30 A tranquil heart is life to the body, but passion is rottenness to the bones. In essence, then, this proverb could be translated, An unselfish heart is life to the body, but a self-centered heart is bad for your physicality. So then, one of the fruits of disciplining your intellect, emotions, and will is better physical health. Note this parallel truth of physical well-being in the following proverb. 17 verse 22. A joyful heart is good medicine, but a broken spirit dries up the bones. C. Wisdom. Proverbs 14 verse 33 says, Wisdom rests in the heart of one who has understanding, but in the hearts of fools it is made known. The book of James is the New Testament parallel to the Old Testament book of Proverbs, wherein wisdom is a central theme. In James 3.17, reasonableness, a Greek word correlating to the Hebrew word for understanding, is listed as a defining aspect of the wisdom from above. 
The individual who disciplines his heart to understand and be reasonable with another person who is made in the image of God will be deemed by others as a wise person. D. Joyfulness. Proverbs 15, verse 13. A joyful heart makes a cheerful face, but when the heart is sad, the spirit is broken. 12, verse 20. Deceit is in the heart of those who devise evil, but counselors of peace have joy. E. Cheerfulness. Do you possess a cheerful heart? Remember, a cheerful heart stems primarily from obedience to God's precepts. Proverbs 15.15 All the days of the afflicted are bad, but a cheerful heart has a continual feast. F. Persuasiveness Proverbs 16.21 The wise in heart will be called understanding, and sweetness of speech increases persuasiveness. 16.23 The heart of the wise instructs his mouth and adds persuasiveness to his lips. G. Weightiness. Proverbs 22.11. He who loves purity of heart and whose speech is gracious, the king is his friend. 27.9. Oil and perfume make the heart glad, so a man's counsel is sweet to his friend. H. Curiosity. Proverbs 18.15. The mind of the prudent acquires knowledge, and the ear of the wise seeks knowledge. I. Blessedness. Proverbs 28, verse 14. How blessed is the man who fears always, but he who hardens his heart will fall into calamity. J. Deliverance. 28.26 says, He who trusts in his own heart is a fool, but he who walks wisely will be delivered. K. Trustworthiness. 31, verse 11. The heart of her husband trusts in her, and he will have no lack of gain. To the contrary, those who fail to discipline their heart in the ways of God will reap in ways negative. The fruits of an undisciplined heart. A. Pride. 16 verse 5. Everyone who is proud in heart is an abomination to the Lord. Assuredly, he will not be unpunished. 18 verse 12. Before destruction, the heart of man is haughty. But humility goes before honor. And 21 verse 4. Haughty eyes and a proud heart, the lamp of the wicked, is sin. B. Crookedness. Proverbs 17 verse 20 states, He who has a crooked mind finds no good, and he who is perverted in his language falls into evil. C. Deception. 23 7 says, For as he thinks within himself, so he is. He says to you, eat and drink, but his heart is not with you. Proverbs 26, verses 23 through 25. Like an earthen vessel overlaid with silver dross are burning lips and a wicked heart. He who hates disguises it with his lips, but he lays up deceit in his heart. When he speaks graciously, do not believe him, for there are seven abominations in his heart. D. Rationalism. Proverbs 18.2. A fool does not delight in understanding, but only in revealing his own mind. 28 verse 26. He who trusts in his own heart is a fool, but he who walks wisely will be delivered. E. Rebellion. Proverbs 19.3 states, The foolishness of man ruins his way, and his heart rages against the Lord. F. Insensitivity. 25 verse 20 like one who takes off a garment on a cold day or like vinegar on soda, is he who sings songs to a troubled heart. And G, calamity. 
Proverbs 28, 14. How blessed is the man who fears always, but he who hardens his heart will fall into calamity. Our conclusion. By exhaustively studying and attempting to outline all that Solomon says about a specific aspect of wisdom, in this case the wisdom of managing one's heart, we can see through the repetition and spectral breath, the essence of godlike thinking and understanding related to the human intellect, emotion, and will. Such a particular study, the understanding of one's subject, and its appropriation helps us to become more Christ-like. This study is a good theological investigation that should profoundly shape our life relative to heart stewardship over a lifetime. Do you reap the fruit of a disciplined or undisciplined mind? How do you know for sure what is right and wrong with your thinking apart from the precepts of Scripture? Have you yet bowed the knee to the authority of the written and living Word of God in your life? This concludes our Bible study for this week. May God bless you deeply. Thank you for all you do in our great country and on the Hill. This is Frank Sontag.